tonight. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Uh, thanks for joining me this morning. Joining me this morning or joining us this morning is Frank Lally. He is, uh, well, he's worked as an investigative reporter for Forbes magazine, served as editor for Money, testified twice before the U.S. Congress as a personal finance expert, and has appeared as an, a specialist on television programs like the Today Show, Good Morning America, and even Nightline. His new book is Your Best Healthcare Now. Get doctor discounts, save with better health insurance, find affordable prescriptions. Welcome to the show, Frank. Nice to have you on this morning. Absolutely, my pleasure. Great to have you. Okay, you are, you've been called, or I guess your moniker, moniker is the healthcare detective. So, where'd you get that name? <laughs> well, I got, How'd you get I, that I got name? The, I actually got it the hard way. Uh, <laughs> Some years ago, I got a blood cancer called multiple myeloma. Now, it's treatable. I've had it for eight years, but it is not curable. And a couple of years ago, um, I was taking a drug to uh, help me stay alive that cost $570 a day, a monopoly drug, wonder drug, $570 a day retail. Now, Time Inc., my old employer, was picking up the cost, and then one year, a couple of years ago, they eliminated all caps on drug costs, even for cancer uh, patients like me taking a, taking a drug like that. But here's the fiasco. I mean, they can make that decision. That's a business decision. But here's the fiasco. They couldn't tell me what that drug would cost me the next year. Couldn't tell me. And then I, I, I made 70 phone calls to 16 different organizations. I couldn't get a straight answer. I was at this for weeks uh, it, you know, and, and I, it, my wife said to me, you've got to write about this. So I wrote about it for the New York Times, and that story went viral. And here's the point. I got stacks of letters from uh, readers who had experiences in many cases that were even worse than mine. Now, at that point, How could I it be worse than you? How could it be worse than yours? I can't imagine. I'm trying to calculate. Well, I finally... Well, yeah. uh, here's, here's why it's worse. Here's why it can often be worse. I mean, I, I finally, found, I finally drug, dug down and timing covered that. Uh, you know, I, I call that insurance company. I put a lot of pressure on the special case. That insurance company covered me for $2 a day. And later, with an $18,000 drug, I got a grant that cost me nothing at all. So some people don't know where to go. Uh, here's what they do. They buy some of these drugs at a... They do that, or, or they just go without the care. So, uh, yeah, it can be much worse than, than my situation. I've gotten great health care, uh, health uh, care for, you know, constantly throughout those eight, eight years. But, look, everything I did, anybody can do. All you need is a phone and a, and a notebook. It's, it's as simple as that. I've got all the steps in this book. All right, you say that, but I'm looking at your, and I read a little bit of your resume in the beginning, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking, could I do that? You've been an investigative journalist for top magazines, Fortune oh, magazines. Oh, you can, you can do it. Can you, I you go do to your it, do- too? Look, if you're pressed for money and you're sitting with your doctor and your doctor says, you know what, in your case, you know, you need um, um, some blood tests. It might cost you as much as 2000 bucks." You have to say to the doctor, he's not going to bring it up. You have to bring it up. You say, you, you know what, I, I, actually, I actually can't afford that. 
um, you know, can you charge me the Medicare rate? I know you take Medicare patients, so I know you take less for the same services you're giving me. Can you give me the Medicare rate? But you know what actually happens here? Doctors are compassionate. Most of them that I, I, I interviewed more than 300 experts for this book, an awful lot of doctors. They're compassionate people. They don't want to, they, they tell me, I never want a dollar sign to get between me and my patient. Somebody sincerely tells me I can't afford it. I have standing, po- these doctors have standing policies. They cut their prices in half. They cut it all the way down to 10%. But you have to bring up the subjects. You have to be sincere. I'll tell you about my second back, my second back surgery. There's a surgeon I really wanted, okay? And his opening bid, and that's the way I looked at it, his opening bid was $40,000. Now, I check with my insurance company. Insurance company said, well, most doctors in your area, they only charge about 30 But they said to me, remember, you're not covered for this at all. It's all going to be out of your pocket. So I went back to the doctor. I told him that. And he said, all right, I'll do it for 20 uh, and I said, you know, I, I really can't afford it. He said, look, my billing office will call you in a couple of days. Billing office called, and they said, and it sounded like the final offer here. Okay, the doctor will do it for $15,000. I talked to my wife. $15,000 cash out of our pocket, no health coverage? I called back and said, look, here's our situation. We can afford $10,000. You know what the doc, you know what that surgeon said? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so and he did a brilliant and he did a brilliant surgery and when I woke up when I woke up in the hospital and opened my eyes there he was his face was right there smiling at me and taking care of me. You could do so, that. Anybody can yeah, do that. Yeah, I'm not so sure. I mean, I think I have to give you a, a, a there's a lot of credit that we have to give you for doing that, but of course now you're writing the book so that we can do it, and so because we do need guidelines to be able to do that. I, first of all, I think when you're diagnosed with multiple myeloma cancer, uh, you're not thinking about cost. I would imagine you're thinking about I want to live at all costs. I mean, that's oh, the first absolutely, thing. absolutely yeah. until until the until your company tells you that there's no cap on your on on, on your drug costs, uh, <laughs> then you think about yeah. the costs. And then you, look, if you're in a situation, and we'll get to, let's talk about ordinary people in a minute, but if, if you're in a situation where you've got, um, you know, a real specialty drug and it's awfully expensive uh, to you and you, you're, you're at a point where you don't think you can afford to take that medicine, call the drug maker, okay? Your insurance company rarely is going to help you in situations like that. They'll just go by the book. Call the drug maker, and the drug makers have these patient support systems, and they're awfully helpful. They're, they're the kindest people I've run into when I've researched this book. Their job is to work with patients who can't afford their company's medicine. The guys running these companies, doubling and tripling their prices, they know that an ordinary person who doesn't have health insurance, good health insurance, can't afford the drugs. So they set up these units within the company to take care of patients. And they do. I mean, people have been overnighted drugs. $10,000 drugs, overnighted, free of charge. Uh, so what you're saying, Frank, is you get... You're you get up to six figures. So if someone says, to, or you, you, you get your diagnosis, the drugs are going to yep. cost $500 a day, that's a yep. day, uh, yep. then you say to the doctor, who's the drug company? Let's take us through the process. And then yes. you yourself yes, you call... If, yes, okay. who's, the dr- who's the drug... If, if you're on the line for that, you, you don't have any insurance, you say, who's the drug maker? 
And then you call the drug maker up and you say, here's my, situ- here's my financial situation. Even, you know, I've had cases where people even have made as much as $100,000 in an urban area. And the drug company will, go- will say, okay, fine. Now, why are they doing that? I'm a journalist, right? So I've got a cynical point of view on some of this stuff. They don't want that story on your show. I've got it in the book. <laughs> <laughs> I've got it in my book. I've got a case of that where, where this person was, was dying of cancer, finally died and couldn't get, the, couldn't get the medicine until they called the drug maker. And then, you know what? The drug maker sent it to him immediately. Immediately. Immediate, but it was too late. But you have, <laughs> they, they but you have leverage. You, well, you just, doctor, you, I, I have to, in that case, I have to fault the hospital. The hospital didn't sit down with them and say, okay, look, you want to keep your husband alive? Here's the thing to do. Call the drug maker. Instead, the hospital said, you want to keep your, your husband alive? Go and buy it yourself. So they, they took $10,000 on their credit card. They only got a month's supply. And at the end of the day, it was too late. They wasted a lot of time you know, appealing to the health insurer. They, but what, finally, finally, when they went to the drug maker, the drug maker sent them the drug immediately. That's the point. So if, well, these, Yeah, the that's the point. Drug. On really expensive drugs, that's the point. Yeah. Yeah, with ordinary uh, medicine, uh, you know, the thing, to, the thing to do is to say to, to, say to your um, doctor, why do I need that medicine? And describe to me what it's going to do for me. So the doctor may say, well, you know, well, all right, within your condition, I mean, this should help you within, within 10 days. Um, fine. Then you say to the doctor, okay, write the prescription for 12 days. Don't write it for 30 days. I mean, you should see my medicine cabinet before I figured this out. There were drugs I needed for four days. They gave me 90, and I paid for 90. <laughs> I, I didn't need that at all, okay? So the other thing you say to the doctor is, um, oh, by the way, okay, I'm, I'm convinced I actually need this medicine. Do you have any samples? I mean, drug makers, especially for brand names, expensive drugs, they drop off samples all the time at the doctor's office. They're, they're on his shelves. They're in his drawers. You ask for it. I walked out of one doctor's office with more than $1,000 worth of non-addictive painkiller. And all I said was, do you have any samples? Oh, we got so many samples. Hold on a minute. I could hardly carry them home. Yeah. So they, they want to anyway. get rid of their samples. Yeah, they want to get rid of theirs. I mean, any, look, Catherine, anybody can do this. Anybody can do this. It's just a right, matter so of saying, do you have any samples? Do, do you have any discount cards? I mean, you know, one pharmacist told me that it's 90% of these brand names, especially the stuff you see on TV and expensive stuff, in, most, in 90% of the cases, they introduce the drug at least over the first year or two, there are these discount cards that knock the, not, may knock the medicine down to you know, something like $10 a month. You know, look, the idea is to get you hooked on it, then you know, you'll, pay big, you'll pay the full price. But in the meantime, you can get a drug, you can get a really good drug for very little price, and then you keep your fingers crossed that a generic will come along that you can take instead of it, okay? And the FDA is approving 40, or roughly about 40 generics a month. So if you wait, a, if you wait long enough, all these drugs are going to get covered. So, Frank, we can all become healthcare detectives, is what you're saying. Even yes, though, I do. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Okay. So you have the moniker, but we can also become healthcare detectives. We just that's have to know idea. the guidelines, though. Of course, we have to read your book. So, like, specifically, 
And especially when you're, and I keep going back to this because I did a lot of hospital social work, but when you Mm -hmm. get a diagnosis, it doesn't even have to be cancer, but it can be something relatively serious or a chronic condition. You're really frightened, you're vulnerable, uh, and if you don't have somebody who's with you to help you, you know, it's it's pretty scary. And you, without this kind of a guideline and going in there, you're you're not going to be, you're sort of befuddled. You don't know what to do. So it's really, would you say you need to be prepared? We all need to be prepared? Because at some point we're all going to get, yeah. I have an entire chapter, and it's a good one, devoted to exactly that. Sooner or later, you're going to get a, somebody in your family or you are going to, you're going to get a a really nasty medical uh, diagnosis. And, and you're going to be scared, and you're going to be panicked, and what do you do at that point? Uh, yes, prepare for it. And you prepare for it this way, especially when you're over 50, when you're over 60. You should have a regular doctor. If you're under 50, not, we can talk about that. But if you're over 50, you're over 60, you should have a regular doctor. You go in for your annual checkups. You, you, that doctor should know you well enough so that he can diagnose you, you know, when you walk in the door. Um, you know, so... so that's where you go. That's your medical quarterback. That's somebody you can sit down with and say, "Okay, I got this really bad break. Now, what can we do about it?" And a and a good family doctor like that will have referrals. They will be specialists. He'll have an action plan for you. Next thing is at the hospital, and I'm interested to have the conversation with you. I think it's extremely important. I'm facing an operation or I'm having a child, I'm going, I know I'm going to the hospital, okay? I would say negotiate ahead of time. Don't call the billing office. Billing office is there to collect money. I would call the ombudsman or anything close to that, the, the, the patient support person at the hospital. There's somebody there to help you. Go on in, show them your finances, discuss what the operation you have, and essentially agree on a price and a doctor. And, the, and, and by the way, if that price is too high, there's another hospital down the block, you know. There's another option for you. Go to two or three of them and then decide where you want, where you want the operation to be. And, you know, so the time to, you know, that's the time to negotiate, not after you've gotten the bill, as most patients do. They don't do it up front. They get hit with a $275,000 bill. They can't understand half of it, yet they know that most medical bills contain significant errors, but it's all codes to them, and they're stuck, and they don't know what to do. They call up a health advocate to come on in, and they pay them a third to negotiate the bill. But, you know, I'm saying you can avoid all that hassle, or a lot of it anyway, uh, if you go to the hospital first, I, I, Catherine, does that kind of advice make sense to you? Yeah, it does make sense. And I guess another question would be, is that even before you go to a call the person at the hospital, whoever does that, a case manager, whoever it is in, in the hospital, can you do some of that detective work? Online, I mean, if you Google a hospital or three or four hospitals and you're deciding you're going to have, you know, your appendix out, uh, could, do you go online? Can you get some of that information beforehand? Yeah, I, I, find, it, I find it difficult to get really quality um, assurances. Um, I, I, I think word of mouth is, uh, I've relied more on word of mouth than anything else. I know, I know Medicare is, Worked hard on these quality evaluations. Um, they're very, to me, um, to me, they're complex. Um, it, it, so yeah, that is a, you know, that's a challenge, and I, I think the hospitals realize it. And the hospitals, you see now, hospitals advertising on TV, billboards, 
Um, you know, so look, if, if nothing else, if there's a teaching, if there's a major teaching hospital in your area, then I would say definitely put that on your list, check them out. And then, look, you know, you've got to put a little bit of effort into this. Uh, go on down there and sit down, sit down with the right person uh, at, at, at the teaching hospital, and you, you'll learn a lot. And you'll walk, maybe you'll walk away with price you can afford, or uh, certainly you'll learn a lot. Frank, I think one of the things that many people aren't aware of that you can negotiate these prices, that these prices are negotiable. I think that's the first, which you've covered that, you know, in the first questions. But that's really important for, I think, for us to realize as consumers. They are negotiable when they tell you that, you know, yeah. So we have to know that. We have to be aware. Yeah, they are. Uh, You know, but look, the lack of transparency is all over the medical field. I mean, doctors don't post their prices. I mean, the AMA should force them to do it. You know, they don't post their prices. Most hospitals don't post their prices. And, oh, my God, try to get, it, try to get something in writing from a health insurance company on, a, on what that drug is going to cost me. I mean, it, they, it's, a, you know, it's against their internal rules. I mean, I've badgered some people in, and gotten, some, I've gotten stuff in writing, uh, but people who've done that nearly lost their jobs. So, you know, lack of, lack of transparency is built into the system now. Uh, but, but if you ask, then they tell you. <laughs> they they, they yeah. do tell you. Um, so, and and there, are, there are things online that help. I mean, you can go uh, to clearhealthcost.com, clearhealthcost.com, have a number of regular procedures. They're in a, a lot of major cities, and if nothing else, they'll give you a guideline they actually have actual providers with actual prices uh, for very common things, uh, like um, breast mammograms and, um, you know, hip replacement, that kind of thing. Um, it, it's all there with, re- and if you want to, there's a, real, there's a real facility or a real doctor with a real price that you can follow up on. It, if nothing else, it gives you a benchmark to take back to the doctor you want to, uh, to give you the care and say, hey, you know what? I looked online, and um, you know we can. You know he's doing it for three hundred and fifty bucks. Uh, you want five hundred? I mean, can't we uh, work something out here? Chances are they'll say okay. Even even drug costs. I mean, people don't real people do not realize this, but pharmacies, when it's out of your pocket and you're buying a drug, if you go to another pharmacy and you find like a you go to a discount pharmacy. A, a big box pharmacy, right? Rather than your local family local, pharmacy. Yeah. yeah. Well, you you can come back with a price, and they'll match it. You know, they won't match stuff online, but they'll match another brick and mortar competitor. They'll match their prices. So yeah. it's just like buying a new car. <laughs> you go yeah, to the it's like buying a, it's like buying a new it, car. I, you know, it is the the other thing. The other thing people don't do. You know, it sounds very adversarial. You know, you you look up the prices and you go in and you, you twist the guy's arm. There's another way to do it. You should have a relationship. If you've got a pharmacy close to you that you like, and there is a pharmacist there who's amenable, you should have a good relationship with that pharmacist. And you don't do it by just coming in and buying stuff from time to time. Make an appointment. Make an appointment. Sit down with him. Show him the drugs you're taking. Show him the ones that your doctor is asking you about, okay, that you might have to take. 
Uh, let, him, let him look at that list. In some cases, he can point out a generic. I mean, I'll give you one easy example, okay? There are a lot of commercials right now for single-pack Viagras. Have you seen that? I see that. Yeah, I see it every night, I think. Yeah. You see it every night, right? So they're 50 yeah. bucks, whatever. It's a 50 bucks a pop, right? Uh, there's an equivalent. It's not a generic, but there's an equivalent. You know what it costs? 68 cents. Your pharmacist knows about it. So push, you know, so, so push the Viagra aside and, and try the 68 uh, cent stuff. Uh, you know, in a lot of cases, it's equally effective. So well, the, the your, phone your should pharmacy. be ringing off the hook right now. <laughs> <laughs> your, your, your pharmacist can look at that list of yours. He can see where there, there are generics. There might even be an over-the-counter to cover that. Um, you know, I have he, a question. He, okay, I just want to ask because some yeah, of these tests, sure. and you do talk about this in the book too, but say yeah. tests that we get sort of routinely, and I'm saying that in quotes, but mammograms, are there huge mammograms. differences in the yeah, prices of mammograms? Well, or the MRIs price of the mammogram or, or whether you should yeah. have the mammogram. Yeah, that's another story. Well, the price of the mammogram, you know, varies w- really widely, and that's where clearhealthcosts.com or, or, you know, there are a couple of others. There's something called Compass. There's Castlight. There are a couple of on- that. Those were online um, uh, services that are really helpful. Uh, it, you know, when um, GoodRx.com is also a terrific one for prescriptions. They've got all. They've got dis- They've got low prices and then discount coupons of eighty percent. That, that's where I think that comes in handy. But yeah, so prices prices on mammograms, uh, you know, are drastically different depending on uh, depending on the provider, and you can you can save hundreds of dollars. That, you know, another question is whether you should have it. And there's I've got a whole chapter devoted to to that conversation because it, it's a tricky one. Um, you know the. People, so there are now some experts who don't think you need to have annual mammograms if you're under 50, um, unless you've got family history or some other symptom, okay? But if you're healthy, normally, and you don't have, you know, any family history or, or uh, a lump or something like that, God forbid, um, you don't need a mammogram till you're age 50. There are others who say that's absolutely wrong. You should absolutely start at age 40, um, so people have to people have to figure that out, and it, it's a matter of personal confidence. It, I think at the end of the day, if you don't feel confident, um, go have the mammogram. You know, go have the mammogram. But if you're forty, um, and and if you're not confident, I mean. If, if, I'm, well, you know, I think the statistics. I mean, I've read a lot of. Yeah, not, yeah I, I think confident. you. Well, I think you need a lot of information, and there's been so much controversy over that. Uh, and I think now they're they're moving towards you really don't need mammograms till definitely till you're over fifty. And how often do you really need them over fifty? And yeah, at what point every, do you not need them at all? Yeah. yeah, because there's radiation in the mammograms themselves, and if you're not at risk, and there's so much, uh, you know, co- there's so yeah, much controversy I cover, about I cover that. All of this, and I've got a, I've got yeah. a, you know, I tell a lot of this book through people and people's experiences, uh, and then I take lessons out of their experiences. But, um, you know, I've got a story in here of a woman named Maggie. Her full name is Maggie Murphy. Um, she told her story. Uh, she had, this was not cancer. She did not get diagnosed with cancer. But nonetheless, the doctors, one of her doctors said, sooner or later your breasts are going to kill you. They were that dense, and, and she has family history. 
and she just decided to have both breasts removed. A lot of women are making this decision, have both breasts removed to take her risk down to, you know, 2, 3, 4% rather than where it was, which is close to 50. So um, those are tough decisions, and, um, and it is a matter of personal confidence. She just wanted, she didn't want to have to worry about that for the rest of her life. That's as, it's as simple as that. So, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I wanted to make this book as accessible to ordinary people as I possibly could. You don't have to be in a situation where you're taking a specialty drug like, like mine to learn something from this book. You can be an ordinary Medicare patient um, and just learning about Medicare.gov, find a plan that'll save you thousands of dollars, uh, right? You know, it can save you thousands of dollars. And then in today, if you go in and look at it compared to the plan you have, I mean, I, Frank, I but one like, of the things is because we only have a couple, we only yep. literally a couple minutes left. And yep. I know, you know, you're starting to get it. We have, I recommend just getting the book and obviously going through all of your recommendations but and the stories that you tell. But one of the things you say, just quickly tell us, one of the recommendations, you say, well, skip your routine annual checkup. That will save money. It will save money, but will it, in the long run, are you, are you jeopardizing your health by not having a routine annual checkup? Depends on your age, and it depends on your health. So, I mean, studies show that people under 50 don't need annual checkups. Think about it. You're setting up your medical care based on a calendar rather than your symptoms. I mean, Good you know, point. my daughter's in her mid-30s, and her doctor, Harvard trained, says, I don't have to see you for 18 months. I don't have to see you for 24 months. You're healthy, okay? You get a symptom, call me immediately, okay? But without symptoms, go on home. You're fine, okay? If you're over 50, the health risks increase. I would say over 50 Go to your doctor every year to have your annual. And the other important thing is you get into your 50s, into your 60s, where your health declines even more on average, you bond with your doctor. That comes in handy, as we talked about earlier, when you've got somebody to turn to when you really have a dire uh, diagnosis. So, yeah, I mean, if you're young and healthy, you don't have to use medicine based on a calendar. Makes no sense to me. And does it make sense to the researchers? Yeah. Well, I think what you're saying in part or in whole is, you know, it's, it really is, there's an individualized, you have to be really aware of what your individual circumstances are and, and then base your medical decisions on that and have a relationship with your primary care physician, very important, so that he or she knows you, uh, and be informed beforehand I'm just kind of giving a synopsis of this, but and there's just lots more in the book that uh, t- talks about all this in detail. But uh, be prepared, I guess. Be prepared. Be the detective. Right, be prepared. No, yeah, really important. All right, yeah, uh, we be, only be have three. Prepared. I'm sorry. It's go ahead. been a yeah. Well, we uh, have to say goodbye now. I want to <laughs> mention your. <laughs> we have no choice. We're going to break. Uh, Frank and I'm going to Lally. Uh, yeah, your Lally. best health. Yeah, your best health care now. That's his book. Get doctor discounts, save with better health insurance, and find affordable prescriptions. So tell us online where we can uh, purchase the oh, book. I, I, I think, you know, it, it, certainly it's in bookstores, Barnes & Noble, that kind of thing, if that's still, <laughs> there's still one near you, uh, yep. near you. But your best health care now, last name is L-A-L-L-I. Go to Amazon.com, a couple of clicks, and you have the book. 
I didn't write it to make money, uh, three years of work on it. I didn't write it to make money. I wrote it to help ordinary people get quality, affordable health care. It's available everywhere in this country, and it's easy to get. Everything I did, you can do. Great. Thanks so much. We are going to take a short break now. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and we'll be back in a minute. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is Dr. Tara Allman. She's a gynecologist. She has been and is one of America's leading experts in midlife women's health. She's a board-certified gynecologist and certified menopause practitioner. Uh, she's educated thousands of medical professionals around the country in perimenopausal and menopausal medicine. Also has been featured on the Dr. Oz Show, Good Morning America, NBC, CBS. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Dr. Allman. Thanks. Great to be here. Great to have you here. Now, your new book is what we're going to be talking about today is Menopause Con- Confidential. A doctor reveals the secrets to thriving through midlife. Uh, not always an easy thing to do. And I'm, uh, I, I would say uh, I'm a good person to talk to because I have been there. So uh, I have lots of friends who are going through this menopause and perimenopausal. And you say, and I just one more thing, because you do say this in the book, you say, and I, I agree with you, menopause very often just conjures up these kind of scary images of, you know, hot, sweaty women, pe- uh, women who are tired, cranky, overweight, can't sleep. Uh, lost interest in sex. It sounds pretty dismal, but it doesn't have to be. And uh, so tell well, us how I, it does. I happen to yeah. think midlife is pretty darn tootin' great. And your listeners should know that midlife really starts when we become 40-year-old girls, right? If, we, if women are living into their 80s on average, 40 starts midlife. Perimenopause is the journey to menopause. That starts usually somewhere in our 40s. Things are changing in our menstrual cycles, and a whole host of symptoms come along with that. And then menopause is when we stop having menstrual cycles altogether, and that really means life without estrogen. I love when women say to me, I'm all done with that menopause, a little bit like what you just said, Catherine. I've been through it already. Well, menopause is from our last menstrual period until death do us part. 
So there's a lot of changes that go on from our last menstrual period until death do us part and a lot of important information that women must know in order to maximize their health and wellness along that entire journey. So what do we need to what do we need to know? What's what's important for us I to think know? The, my, the the most important thing I like to say women at the outset is that at some point you're going to need to graduate from your obstetrician's office. That's where we've been going, and we've made our babies, we've delivered our babies, we've raised our babies, and now it's time to put ourselves and our own health and wellness forefront on our list of things to do, and your obstetrician may not be the best person to partner with in order to take this next exciting journey. So I always encourage women to go to menopause.org. That's the North American Menopause Society's website. And if you put your zip code in there, at will pop names of credentialed experts in midlife women's health. It really is a field now unto itself. And you really want to find the best person. If it's not going to be from that site, you're going to get a list of gynecologists on your insurance plan, GYN onlys, and ask that practice. Do you focus on midlife women's health? Are you credentialed in it? Because those are the people you want to work with now so you make the best choices now so that you are, you, you, uh, you're the beneficiary of the health dividends later. So are what you're saying is that there are subspecialties, actually a subspecialty of, well, you don't need an OB anymore, but the GYN part of it, but there's even more physicians. Yes, what I'm who, saying is that not every yeah. gynecologist knows everything about midlife women's health because some gynecologists like to do surgery and some like to do infertility and some could care less about menopause and perimenopause. And what I hear all the time from my own patients and from many women is, you know, they got blown off a little bit. You know, they were having symptoms and they weren't really getting answers and they were getting confusing answers and uh, they didn't know where to get answers, which is actually the reason why I wrote Menopause Confidential. I myself am a 51 and three quarters year old menopausal woman. I'm loud and proud about it. (laughs) I do know all the secrets. uh, And my book is really evidence-based. It's scientifically based. There's both an art and a science to medicine, like in everything. Uh, But I think we have to start with what do we really know for sure and tailor it to every woman's needs. So I think of my book as being the what to expect when you're not expecting book. <laughs> <laughs> what to expect when you're not expecting. Okay, so what to expect? What should we expect? Is there a normal or a normal range or, uh, you know, that bell-shaped curve? Uh, how does it work for Well, here's a new symptoms? flash for all your listeners. About 80% of women will experience hot flashes, and on average for seven years. We didn't know that to be true until very recently. And uh, the, the, the secrets revealed are that you, you can't show up to this party clueless. You really have to have a good understanding of your body's inevitable changes and what that means for the short term in terms of symptoms. You mentioned some of them, hot flashes, night sweats, irritability, brain fog, sexual interest, hair, skin, nails, basically things change from top to bottom, from head to toe and everywhere in between, I like to say. Uh, so for the first part of the book, I'm, I lay the groundwork for women to know that the range 
for this transition is anywhere between 40 and 58. Some of us transition sooner. Some of us wait a little later. And it really has a relationship to where our mothers, when they transition, so if your mom can remember, if you can ask her, you'll have a better idea when it's your turn to go through some of the changes that will inevitably occur to all of us. And once we're done flashing, we've got bigger issues to consider, heart health, bone health, brain health, sexual health, total health and wellness. So it doesn't end with hot flashes. Let's talk about hot flashes because, and, and again, as a social worker, uh, people experience hot flashes differently. I, you know, I have found that, you know, one person who may have the same, perhaps similar symptoms, one woman and or two women, but they experience it differently. One person may just, it, it doesn't bother them and it, do, it doesn't become an issue. And the same sort of symptom will be overwhelming for another woman. So... Yeah, Yeah, we're all individuals. So I would say there's no rhyme or reason why one lucky gal gets away with mild symptoms and the gal right next to her is, you know, has debilitating symptoms. It is what it is. You, you, uh, you, again, sometimes there is a relationship between severity of symptoms, what our mother experienced, but our mothers often didn't talk about this with each other a generation or, or so ago. So she may not remember how it all went down. There's Again, it's the luck of the draw. Uh, everything really does start. I want your listeners to know very clearly that everything really does start with excellent lifestyle choices. So when you get to be a midlife girl, you can no longer procrastinate in terms of healthy nutrition and exercise. You know, we put off a lot of things because appropriately we're taking care of our children and our parents and our pets and our households, but then when you hit midlife and you don't feel so well, you don't feel yourself anymore, you really have to look inward and start take, making changes that you know you have to make. You just haven't gotten around to making them. And uh, midlife is the time, you know, I always say tick-tock on the clock. There's no time like now. We have to make the changes now so we can show up to our 80s with our health and our wellness. Those choices and changes need to be made today. Because we're more vulnerable or our bodies are more vulnerable? I mean, it, we have to really eat well or we aren't going to feel well. We can't tolerate it. We can't eat the same stuff that maybe wasn't good for us in our 40s as when we get to be our 50s or when we go through menopause. Um, so we need to be more attentive uh, in terms well, of exercise. One of the inevitable complaints for midlife women is that they're gaining weight and they're putting it right in their middle. And now your pants don't fit so comfortably anymore. Uh, weight gain as we, is a function of aging and lifestyle choices. So for all the ladies listening who want to lose weight, it's possible to do. And the formula is simple. You have to eat less and you have to eat more. You have to eat less of all the stuff you know you have to eat less of. And you have to eat more of all the fruits and vegetables that you haven't been eating for the last however many years that you've been on the run, as I said, working, caring for families. Usually we put ourselves last on the healthy list when we're busy caring for everybody else. So it is absolutely important, a priority, to eat healthily. You're allowed to indulge now and again in your favorite comfort food, but everybody knows this. Now is the time to start doing it. You don't have many more years. You've got maybe 35, 40 years left on your clock. 
So you have to start today. (laughs) (laughs) And when you start today, here's another question. I'm not sure we have that much control over it, so I'm going to ask you, the expert uh, specialist, what about the changes in your body, just the shape of your body? Now, uh, you know, when you go through menopause, yes, you can, as you say, you eat well and you eat the right things, and it really does help that middle area where you gain weight and fat. Uh, but what about the shape? Because your body does change and not in a good direction. It, you know, you get a, you may get a little bit shorter. You may get a little bit squarer. Uh, you, you know, yeah, your and pants don't... Starts to sag, everything starts to everything sag, sag and sag. fall down. So we, yeah. so we definitely redistribute our weight to our midsection. And we do get a little saggier. And if you're not very, very careful and prevent bone loss, which is a very important part of our story today. Right at the menopause transition, when women stop having menstrual cycles, they no longer make estrogen, which will impact in a major way on bone health. So you talked about getting shorter, and that's a function of bone loss. It could also be a function of poor posture, ladies. So make sure that you stand up straight when you get measured at the doctor's office. (laughs) But you don't want to lose bone, as you transition, you want to maximize that aspect of your health and wellness. And I write about that in a chapter called Sticks and Stones Could Break Your Bones so that everybody knows what you're supposed to be doing in every chapter, what's the skinny on weight gain. Every chapter is really going to help you really understand the science. It's math formula. It's easy to understand what's the right amount of exercise. I'll tell you right now, for heart health, it's 30 minutes Five days away, five days a week with something as easy as brisk walking. So if you don't belong to a gym, so what? You can briskly walk. We can all find 30 minutes, five days a week to briskly walk. That reduces heart disease in women. And if you want to increase that to 60 minutes every single day, that's the math equation for weight loss and weight maintenance. So when women say, gosh, I'm working out two to three days a week and I can't seem to lose any weight, it's because that's not the right equation. For weight loss, it's 60 minutes of moderate to rigorous exercise every single day. I like to joke, who has that kind of time, ladies? However, it does mean there's always room for improvement on what we're currently doing for heart health, for weight loss and maintenance, for bone health so we don't become little old ladies hunched over at the market. Uh, Don't be one of those ladies. Read Sticks and Stones Can Break Your Bones to Avoid Osteoporosis and Fracture. These are the topics that we can talk about that are easy to bring up or talk to your physician about. But, and, you know, your exercise and uh, bone loss and, uh, and, and food and diet, et cetera. But what about the topic that you and very often one's physician, if you don't have the right physician, can't talk about? And that gets into your chapter six. The vagina is like Las Vegas, baby. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I love that chapter. Let's talk about vaginas because so, <laughs> nobody wants it. Maybe with your girlfriend or your partner, but you know that's still one of those kind of, do I mention it to my physician or he or she going yes, to talk to me about it? Is absolutely. You have to advocate for your own vaginas, ladies. I always like to say to my own patients, it doesn't matter to me if you have a partner, if you don't have a partner, if you don't like your partner, if your partner has erectile dysfunction. All those conditions are... Uh, are true for many women, but we absolutely have to take charge of vaginal health and wellness. I, uh, I chronicle all of the steps and secrets in the chapter that you mentioned called The Vagina is Like Las Vegas. It's a funny chapter. Uh, 
I'm switching my phone. It's a funny chapter uh, meant to help you find the right words and have the right voice and get courage to speak to your partner and speak to your healthcare professional because it is inevitable as women age and when they stop making estrogen, it will affect the health and wellness not only of the vagina but also of the bladder that sits right on top of the vagina. So I chronicle in to pee or not to pee what we're supposed to do also for bladder health and wellness. I really tried to hit everything from head to toe, from hair health and skin health to nail health and literally every organ I pass by to colon health. So in terms of advocating and speaking out loud, I think women now really have a voice to say what they need to their healthcare professional. And if your healthcare professional is not receptive to what you're asking for, then you really do have to look elsewhere for somebody who is. Yeah, I think that's really important, difficult to do, but something that's really is critical. Because if you have another 30 years to live and you got to live with all of this, then you really do need to be able to talk to your healthcare professional. And you do need to leave if they can't discuss these issues, what you can't discuss your vagina with he or she. Uh, which brings us to the next topic is uh, let's talk about sex. What about sex? How does menopause affect what's the, your, your, your sexual, uh, your sexual life, your ability to have good sex, orgasms. Uh. Well, I like to tell women that when we are younger women, we make lots of estrogen and testosterone, and it really turns out that our brain is our sex organ, and we fill it up with lots of estrogen and testosterone, but as the ovaries age and then retire, we no longer have estrogen and testosterone. So our libido and our interest will absolutely wane as we grow older. Sex can still be wonderful as long as the vagina is healthy and well and sex isn't painful. That's one part of that puzzle. But also just being in a long-term relationship, even longer, just two years or, or longer, is enough to reduce libido. And if you don't feel well, if you're not sleeping well and you feel fatigued and your partner is not being wonderful and healthy. There's a million reasons that contribute to reduced libido in midlife women. So we can do what we can do in terms of healthy lifestyle choices and vaginal health and wellness. I can't fix your relationships, ladies, but I strongly encourage you to look inward to do what the best you can to find a wonderful partner because that's part of the problem for many women. And from, from there, in terms of should you choose hormone therapy to help give you the little extra zest that you used to have as a 20, 30, early 40-something, it's a bigger conversation, which I detail in potions, patches, and pills. Oh, my. Uh, but I think <laughs> once you read those chapters, you'll become very comfortable with what's the right choice for you. All right, so we can. I'm not. I don't want to cover every chapter because we want everybody to go out and, and read the book because there is so much. There is lots of information, and as you say, um, uh, we we need to go through every chapter. But chapter twenty, uh, every man needs a gynecologist. What does that mean? <laughs> I think so. Don't don't you, Catherine? <laughs> yes, I do. I, I agree I with like you, but I want you to tell everybody why. 
I, I, I used to think of Menopause Confidential as the book for every wo- woman over the age of 40, but now I think it's a book for every woman and man over the age of 40 because every man over the age of 40 is also dealing, or many of them are also dealing with midlife women, and it would really be helpful for them to have a little bit of information to help understand the journey and therefore be more supportive of the journey. So my gift to all the readers is every man needs a gynecologist. Read that with your man person, and uh, I think you'll see some changes in how he uh, responds to you as you take the perimenopausal menopause journey. Yeah, I think that's the, well, there are a lot of good chapters, but I think that's an excellent, excellent suggestion. Uh, probably one that not too many women have thought about or even do. And I think, and I, this is a real generalization, but I think a lot of men are really ignorant about women's bodies before, uh, menopause. And, uh, it, it behooves them to, to become a little more sophisticated about their partner's bodies and how they function before. And also, as you say, particularly as you're going through menopause and afterwards. Um, so. Yes, and, well, and when if, do the men folk learn that? You know, most women don't know what's going on at midlife, right? We show up to the perimenopause and menopause party completely clueless. You can imagine the poor men, they don't know, they don't get any lectures whatsoever anywhere. So uh, this is a way to help them understand and be supportive. They don't want too much information, Catherine, just a little bit to get them by. <laughs> so let's, uh, maybe I'm backtracking a little bit, but perimenopause usually begins, I've never been clear about what perimenopause, I, I'm not sure that I ever really felt that I experienced it. I sort of went through menopause and it was not a bad thing and just uh, no medication, no drugs and an understanding partner and he was great, and you know, and there are adjustments, as you say. We're not going to go through all of those. But what about perimenopause? Is that can that begin in your thirties? Well, perimenopause really, really, on average, begins in our forties. It's when our menstrual cycles begin to change as our ovaries are getting older, and they are no longer as responsive to the conversation the brain initiates every month so that an egg can get ovulated, right? We ovulate our best eggs early on so we can have the best possibility for healthy pregnancies. And then what's left over in our 40s are our less zesty eggs. And so sometimes we will skip cycles or they'll be heavier or they'll be lighter. And it really is a a hormonal roller coaster ride. So the difference between perimenopause usually begins in your 40s, can last four to eight years, The difference between that and menopause is in menopause, your ovaries are retired. You are no longer having menstrual cycles. You have run out of eggs. You are not making estrogen. The perimenopausal girl is still having cycles. Those cycles are changing. She is making estrogen, sometimes too much, sometimes too little, and sometimes it's just right. So there's a lot of hormonal fluctuation and a lot of symptoms go along with that. So perimenopausal women won't feel well either, and it's somewhere usually in the 40s. If you stop having menstrual cycles before the age of 40, that is called premature menopause, and we look for reasons for why your ovaries pooped out before 40, but most of us don't fall into that category. So your listeners should just know in their 40s, their cycles will begin changing. Uh, the average age of menopause is 51, although there's a range, and that's when your ovaries retire. And then, uh, you know, you'll you hang around as a menopausal girl for another 30 or 40 years. <laughs> and there's work to be done. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, a lot. Uh, maybe this is the last question. We only have a few minutes left, but... 
Um, in your experience, and you've had a lot of experience with a lot of women, perimenopausal, uh, menopausal, postmenopausal, do you find that the more information that they have and the more informed that they have, that they are, that they have less, I don't want to use the word toxic, but suffer less through the whole process? You know, that's a good question. I have very informed patients, and I have women who don't understand, uh, you know, any of it yet. And uh, I don't think there's a correlation between the severity of symptoms or the toxicity of that journey. Some women have really hard time in terms of sleep and mood and brain fog and are very informed, and they have me as their doctor. <laughs> and you can't get any more informed. I, I tell it like it is to all the ladies. So I, I think what you say is correct in all aspects of life. Where do you get the best information? Do you surf the Internet in the middle of the night when you're having a night flash and your sleep has been broken because you're – I always blame my dog, Sadie. She likes to come in the night and say hello to me. And now she's awakened me, and my sleep is now fractured, and I wake up fatigued. So do you surf the Internet? Do you read my book, Menopause Confidential? Do you go to menopause.org to get the information? The more informed you can be, the better off you are. There's a lot of bad information, incorrect or inaccurate information. It's really tricky. How do you know what's good and how do you know what's bad? But always it's best to be informed. I'm not sure if that's going to lessen the symptom, your severity of your journey, but it's always best to have the best information. So talking about best information, we can buy your book, Amazon, bookstores everywhere. Uh, and, and where else can we get more information about you, about the book, about uh, menopause? Well, you can. I welcome listeners and readers of Menopause Confidential to just email me. Go to my website, drallmen.com. I think it's hilarious that my name is All Men, A-L-L. I was going to say that in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> I take care of all women, but my name is All Men. So it's drallmen.com. Email me. I, I love to hear from women. And uh, first read my book because the answer is in it. I try to make my book uh, accessible easy to understand. It's absolutely funny because I'm absolutely funny. Uh, so you, you can start with Menopause Confidential. You, you can, as you said, get it online everywhere. You can email me at dralman.com and uh, another great resource is menopause.org. Well, you're a great resource, and I'll just mention one more thing, because you also have a video library, which is on your website. I want to mention that, as well as the DVD, Menopause in an Hour. So that's that's another source of a lot of good information, as well as the book. And it's Menopause Confidential. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. It was really great having you. It was a treat for me, too. Thanks all you, yeah. Thanks to all your listeners. Yeah. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.